Letter to the Iraqi people from Saddam Hussein. Translated from Arabic of a letter of the Iraqi people allegedly written by the former Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein, 2003. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, they had made a covenant with God that would not turn back in flight, and a covenant with God must be answered for. Quranic verse. Iraq, 28th April, 2003. From Saddam Hussein to the great Iraqi people, the sons of the Arabic and Islamic nation, and honorable people everywhere, peace be upon you and the mercy and blessings of God. Just as Haluka entered Baghdad, the criminal Bush entered it with Al-Kama, or rather more than one Al-Kama. They did not conquer you, you who reject the occupation and humiliation, you who have Arabism and Islamism in your hearts and minds except through betrayal. Indeed, it is not a victory while there is still resistance in your souls. What we used to say has now become a reality, for we do not live in peace and security while the deformed Zionist entity is in our Arab land. Therefore, there is no rift in the unity of the Arab struggle, sons of our great people. Rise up against the occupier and do not trust anyone who talks of Sunni and Shia. Because the only issue that the homeland, your great Iraq, faces now is the occupation. There are no priorities other than driving out the infidel, the criminal, the cowardly occupier. No honorable hand is held out to shake his, but rather the hand of traitors and collaborators. I say to you that all the countries surrounding you are against this resistance. But God is with you because you are fighting unbelief and defending your rights. The traitors have allowed themselves to declare their treachery, even though it is shameful, so declare your rejection of the occupier for the sake of greater Iraq, for the nation, for Islam, and for humanity. Iraq, together for the sons of the nation and the people of honor, we shall restore the stolen relics and rebuild Iraq, which they, may God bring shame upon them, wish to split into pieces. Saddam has no property in his own name, and I defy anyone to prove that there were palaces except in the name of the Iraqi state. I left them a long time ago to live in a small house. Forget everything and resist the occupation, because error begins when there are priorities other than the occupier and his expulsion. Remember, they are aiming to bring in those who will fight one another so that your Iraq will remain weak and they can plunder it as they have been doing. Your party, the Arab Ba'ath Socialist Party, is proud that you did not extend its hand to the Zionist enemy and did not give in to the cowardly American or British aggressor. Whoever stands against Iraq and plots against it will not prosper in peace at the hands of America. Greetings to everyone who resists, to every honorable Iraqi citizen, and to every woman, child, and sheik in our great Iraq. United in the enemy and the traitors who came and with him will flee. Know that one with whom the invading forces come, those planes flew to kill you, will send you nothing but poison. God willing, the day of liberation and victory will come for us, the nation, and above all, for Islam. This time, as always, when right triumphs, the days to come will be more beautiful. Take care of your possessions, your departments, and your schools. Boycott the occupier. Boycott him, for this is a duty towards Islam, religion, and the homeland. Long live great Iraq and its people. Long live Palestine, free and Arab from the river to the sea. God is greatest. May the despicable ones be despised. Saddam Hussein, 26 Safar, 1424. Notes. 
the Halakha, the grandson of Genghis Khan, sacked Baghdad in 1258 AD and went on to attack Syria, where his Mongol forces were defeated at the Battle of Anjalut, Goliath's well, in 1260. Al-Qaim was a non-Arab Shia who betrayed Baghdad to the Mongols, but was then killed by them because they realized he was untrustworthy. Letter to America Letter to the American People by Osama Bin Laden Page 1 In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, to the American people, Peace be upon those who follow the righteous track. Hereafter, the subject of my talk to you is the overwhelming control of the capital money and its effect on the ongoing war between us. I direct my talk specifically to those who support real chains, especially the youth. I say from the onset, your former president warned you previously about the devastating Jewish control of capital and about a day that would come when it would enslave you. It has happened. Your current president warns you now about the enormity of capital control and it is a cycle whereby it devours humanity when it is devoid of the precepts of God's law, Sharia. The tyranny of the control of capital by large companies has harmed your economy as it did ours. And that was my motivation for this talk. Tens of millions of you are below the poverty line. Millions have lost their homes and millions have lost their jobs to mark the highest average unemployment in 60 years. Your financial system in its totality was about to collapse within 48 hours had not the administration reverted to using taxpayer money to rescue the vultures by using the assets of the victims. As for us, our Iraq was invaded in response to pressure from capitalists with Israelis in their occupation of our Palestine, in response to pressures of your administration by a Jewish lobby backed by enormous financial capabilities. An observer of the policies of the new administration realizes that the change is tactical and not strategic. It does not at all agree with the change you seek. There are very many indicators of this especially concerning important matters related to your security and economy, particularly the ongoing war between us. The previous administration was successful in implicating you in these wars against us under the premise that they are necessary for your security or according to the promise that it would be short and would finish in six days or six weeks. Six years has passed, and the administration is gone without realizing the victory. The man calling for change promised your victory in Afghanistan and set a time for withdrawal before the end of the set time. Petrius from the previous administration came and asked for an extension of six more months. If it was the six-day war that started by President Bush in six years that have not been enough to finish it, then the wise men should question how long would a six-month war take and whether you are able to fund a war that requires a large amount of money that weakens your economy and your dollar. 
for Obama to leave one-third of the soldiers in Iraq and the statements for his administration about this, especially from Adorno, about the possibilities of Obama's ordering the return, the forces he took out of Iraq, it would have been better for him if he had disagreed with the ethics of the previous administration and adopted the truth as a friend and told you that he would not withdraw from Iraq, which not, may not serve the U.S. interests, but it was in the interest of the large corporations. The course of the policies of the present administration in several areas clearly reveals that whoever enters the White House, even with good intentions to safeguard the people's interest, is no more than a train operator. His only task is to keep the train on the tracks that are laid down by the lobbyists in New York and Washington to serve their interests first, even if it is counter to their security and economy. Any president who tries to move the train from the lobbyist tracks to a track for the American people's interest will confront very strong opposition and pressures from the lobbyists. Your president described decisions by the court in favor of corporations to intervene in the political arena as a victory, but it is not a victory for the American people except for the big corporations. There is no doubt about it that it is a right, and it is also a right for the administration to support for oppressive Israelis through the continued occupation of our land and the killing of our brothers, marking a victory for the Jewish lobby. The president was not able to defend you against the security and economic loss. The way for change and freeing yourselves from the pressure of lobbyists is not through the Republican or the Democratic parties, but through undertaking a great revolution for freedom. Not to free Iraq from Saddam Hussein, but to free the White House and to free Barack Hussein so he can implement the change you seek. It does not only include improvement of your economic situation and ensure your security, but more importantly helps him in making a rational decision to save humanity from the harmful greenhouse gases that threaten its destiny. For the American youth to succeed in this change, they need to relive the history of their ancestors and the conditions in their countries more than two centuries ago. They need to understand the similarities that during the era and their present situation, especially in their fundamental conditions. The British Parliament sided with corporations, then against their interests. Page 3. You have noticed that Congress's stand with corporations against the people's interest when they refuse to legislate against interference in the elections by corporations. The British military governor in the United States used to have the right to appoint judges and mayors. Similarly, the corruption is deep-rooted now in all higher authorities, thus given authorities over those offices to corporations. Subsequently, the higher court adjudicated their support of political financing by corporations under such circumstances. Reading the book by the intellectual Thomas Paine helped your fathers in the revolution against the oppressors. It is useful for you to read it under the current similar circumstances. You are in need of people like Thomas Paine to publish books, pointing out the similarities between the two phases and we have a similar effect. You also are in need of men with courage and initiative like those of your forefathers at that time when they refused to allow one company to harm the interests of the United States a company that had a monopoly on tea and its prices. Yet there are now are many companies that endanger the United States economy, which continues to be vulnerable and to collapse, and they also formulate the policies of the White House. They threw hundreds of thousands of soldiers against us and have formed an alliance with the Israelis to oppress us and occupy our land. That was the reason for our response on the 11th. 
Palestine has been under occupation for decades. And none of your presidents talked about it until after September 11th, when Bush realized that your oppression and tyranny against us were part of the reason for their attack. Then he talked about the necessity for two states. Obama is trying to address the issue with the same solution suggesting by his predecessor they are quilting fruitless solutions not of concern to us. If you want a real settlement that guarantees your security in your country and safeguards your economy from being depleted in a manner similar to our war of attrition against the Soviet Union, then you have to implement a roadmap that returns the Palestinian land to us, all of it, from the sea to the river. It is an Islamic land not subject to being traded or granted to any party. In conclusion, be assured that we do not fight for mere killing, but to stop the killing of our people. It is a sin to kill a person without proper justifiable cause. But terminating his killer is a right. You should be aware that justice is the strongest army and security offers the best livelihood. You lost it by your own making when you supported the Israelis in occupying the land and killing our brothers in Palestine. The road to safety starts with the stopping of aggression. Palestinians should, shall not be seen captive for we will try to break its shackles. The United States shall pay for its arrogance with the blood of Christians and their funds. Peace be upon those who follow the righteous track. And that was the full letter to the American people. Written by Osama bin Laden. That is going... That is gaining traction. That is getting uh, a lot of visibility due to a recent trend amongst the youth of America, including even the UK Guardian, censoring their former publications publishing of this letter. Remember, the American dream is a dream of freedom, meaning freedom is as real and unreal as a dream. This next letter is known as the third letter to Iraq. And by the way, these come from the DNI.gov, which is the Department of National Intelligence. And their archives is that the civilian journalists of the UK Guardian, for example, and many people did refuse to publish this letter outright. has retroactively censored itself and joined the sheeple in oppressing the freedom of speech even against the enemies. You remember, freedom of speech protects the speech we hate, not the speech of the majority. Third letter to Iraq written by Saddam Hussein. Page 1. Subject, the third letter to Iraq. In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, praises to God and blessings and peace be upon our master Muhammad, his people, and his companions. This is the third letter to our Muslim brothers in Iraq. I pray that peace and the blessings of God be yours. As you are waiting for our moon crescent the month of Maram to appear, I extend my greetings to all the steadfast people of Iraq and especially to the Mujahideen there. I am doing this at a time the invasion is nearly one year old. 
and with the will of God and as a result of the work of the true Iraqi Mujahideen and their supporters, the invaders couldn't implement their set plans. The strength of the resistance did surprise the enemy, which couldn't do what they had planned to do, and they are suffering continuous losses, which we thank God for. I want to stress the following important points. First, the occupation of Iraq and its oil was an intended action which was planned for prior to the events of September 11th. It isn't an action that was taken by the occupation forces to relieve the sufferings of the Iraqi people, on to overthrow the Saddam Hussein regime as the hypocrites and the ignorant claim. Because if that were true to their claim, then they would have turned over Iraq to its people after they detained Saddam and killed his two sons. Two. Second. All of the concessions that the crusading occupier extended to the Iraqi hireling ruling council are the result of the armed Islamic resistance that took place during the election year which is a critical time for Bush because losses of, American, or losses of Americans will negatively affect his chances of winning the elections. And third, the results of this blessed jihad are huge and positive on all levels, be it the enemy's human losses or the enemy's excessive budget depletion, or the fact that the Mujahideen were able to frustrate the enemy's plans for Iraq and for the whole region. I call on the true Muslim youth to make us of this golden opportunity to rescue the nation and exerting all efforts and pinpointing the incentives to move against the nation's enemies. Such opportunities are rare to come by in a person's lifetime. For over half a century, the enemy distorted the meaning of jihad and the mujahideen and used treacherous rulers to usurp the will, the potential, and the capabilities of the people, during which time those who claim they care for the call of Islam lost their chance to act, we now have another rare and precious chance to make the utmost use of the potential of the nation, to unshackle it, to deploy to the warring arenas in Iraq, to twist the head of the world atheists there. That said, there are still the weary minds and the lowly spirit who trust the atheists and accepted to be part of them, and who are taking their time, despite the fact that America is facing a discouraging situation in Iraq, we now have the rare opportunity to primarily exert pressure on America in Iraq and then outstanding outside Iraq and to reveal that everyone the extent of the crusading Zionist American plan for the region and for the center of the Muslim world. We have to make use of the defeat of America in Iraq and its failure in Afghanistan to form an Islamic state based on the Holy Quran. If the wind blows, then make use of it, because there is a lull after each and every fluttering. All of the Muslims have to disavow worshipping men, and by that I mean avoid being obedient to the scholars, the chiefs, and the leaders of the Muslims who restrict the nation's ability to benefit from the great events taking place, and by their doing that if they are competing with texts for what the book and the hadith to satisfy their own whims, God forbid. Palestine had been occupied by the British and the Jews for over nine decades, and these leaders didn't take any important action. So is it permissible for the Crusaders and the polytheists to occupy Muslim countries, to have hundreds of thousands of their soldiers use the most modern tanks and airplanes to invade us, and to have the Islamist groups together with those who didn't join jihad be involved in the actions that had nothing to do with repelling the attacking enemy? 
Instead, they deceive themselves with their followers by claiming that they are manning a fortified borderline, while in fact they neglect to do so and allow the country to be wide open to the Crusaders. What they are doing is an evil thing. I pose a question to the people of Kufa and Basra and ask them, what are you waiting for and are you still in the company of those who do not want to join the Jihad? When are you going to obey God's orders and that his messenger to carry jihad against the crusaders? And when are you going to free yourself from obeying men? And by that I mean that they are disobeying God who said, Fight them, and God will punish them by your hands, cover them with shame, help you gain victory over them, and heal the breasts of the believers. This is from the Quran 9.14. God also said, Will you not fight people who violated their oaths? plotted to expel the apostle and took the aggressive by being the first to assault you? Do you fear them? Nay, it is God whom you should more justly fear if you believe. Quran 9.13 And he said, Unless you go forth, he will punish you with a grievous penalty and put others in your place, but him you would not harm in the least, for God has power over all things. Quran 9.39 God's prophet said, whoever doesn't invade or take over an invasion from his people, God will punish him with a calamity. Loving God is not only by words of mouth or by pretending to do so, but it is a compliance and working for his sake. God said, if you do love God, follow me. God will love you. Quran 331. Our prophet Muhammad, may God's blessing and peace be upon him, who is the grandfather of Hassan and Hussein, did deploy in mid-morning, spent days and nights to cross vast deserts to reach Tabuk to fight the crusading Romans and the so-called Christian Arabs, and he did that in support of the one God. On the other hand, the crusaders come to your countries, days and months elapsed, and you stay idle. You followed the men who played on words and claimed that the sin of staying idle, not supporting the religion, flattering the crusaders, is a peaceful resistance. You and they claim that you love Abu Abdallah al-Hassan, whom may God be pleased with him, and in the name of the God, I tell you that if he became aware of your situation, he will disavow you. I ask you, would you have left Hajjaz with the only tens of his relatives to go to Iraq, brandishing his sword to fight the tyrant Caliph, who is, was his paternal cousin? Refuse to fight the crusaders who invade his country? Shouldn't you be rational? Free yourselves, your minds, and your hearts from worshiping man and God together. You should worship God alone and adhere to his words. They take the priests and their anchorites to be their lords in derogation of God, and they take as their Lord Christ the Son of Mary. Yet they were commanded to worship but one God. There is no God but he, praise and glory to him, far is he, from having the partners they associate with him. Quran 931. God deemed their obeying the scholars as polytheism, for he said the day that their faces will be turned upside down in the fire, they will say, Woe to us! Would they have obeyed God and obeyed the apostle? And they would say, O Lord, we obeyed our chiefs and our great ones, and they misled us to the right path. Our Lord, give them double penalty and curse them with a very great curse. Page 3. It is an America that besieged you for years, in which more than a million of your children were killed, not to mention your men and women. And he who seeks America to protect him from Saddam is like the person who seeks fire to protect him from scorching heat. There will be no solution except the conviction of adhering to the doctrine. 
patched up solutions and halfway measures by supporting the apostate regimes isn't the way to go because religion is indivisible. It is a blasphemy to have part of the religion to God and be part of the king and the God Almighty guide us to revolt against the apostate king who supports the atheists. It is God who extends mercy to his people, is aware of their needs, and gives them religion. For God said, fight them until there is no more tumult of oppression and there prevails justice and faith in God. Quran 2, 193. Everyone should adhere to God's doctrine without giving attention to the structure of the right path, and the West is well aware that this war that commenced with fighting Al-Qaeda is a war with the Muslim world, and is aware that a defeat in Iraq and Afghanistan is a huge setback for the crusading and Zionist powers, and that a victory to the Muslims will result in the major power that will establish its presence, existence, and ability to have its rights and presence as a Muslim power. For that reason, we see France, the country that led the opposition of waging a war in Iraq, is now extending its hand in supporting America. And it did what it, when it became aware that a war isn't favoring the crusading America. And the results will not only be adverse to Americans, but also to Europe. The events taking place call for the need to release all of the capabilities of the Muslim world, to support and join the Blessed Jihad to elevate Islam and the Muslims. Though our people in Palestine, Afghanistan, and Iraq sacrificed a lot, yet it is not enough for the sake of God, and I pray to God, to accept them as martyrs, noting that God's merchandise is expensive and God's merchandise is paradise. The religion cannot be established by means of morsels of our money and time, but is established under the ring of the sword. And blessed be the martyrs who elevate the Muslims in the same month in which the heroic Badar battle took place and the Al-Nasirah in which tens of Rome's soldiers were killed and wounded. In this battle, the Mujahideen revenged their Mujahideen brothers in Somalia, Fallujah, Mazul, and Tikrit by inflicting the enemy with material and moral losses. By shooting down planes and helicopters and by having the families of the Americans grieve their losses and taste what the Mujahideen did in Palestine, Iraq, and Afghanistan as a result of the tyranny of America and its allies, I address and extend my regards to the people of Samara and other Iraqi cities that raise the banner of monotheism. And I ask them to continue with their work, remain steadfast in their path they chose, and be patient because whoever took the right path reaches his destination and for them to remain more patient for an additional hour than the Christians are, because victory is the result being patient for that one hour. I address the Muslim youth of the Arab Peninsula, Egypt, Sham, Greater Syria, and the cavalry of Aleppo, and the acrobats of Ma'an and Zarqa, and the cavalry of the Al-Azid, to include the tribes of Shehur, Gamad, Zaran, and Harb, to mount their horses and brandish their swords to support their brothers in the land of the two rivers who are being attacked by the cavalry and the cross who killed thousands of them and now they want to uproot them and destroy their green land. By the will of God, they will remain steadfast against the father, uh, faithless Romans and they will sacrifice themselves and what is dear to them to protect the religion. Page 4. They roamed in support of the call. They sacrificed for their lives and money. In their determination, they weren't afraid to die. They left their paternal and maternal uncles. They sought God with their blood, heart, and soul, looking for heavens and for the shadows of brothers. They took the path of Khalid and Belal, sacrificed their blood, heart, and soul for the sake of religion, and looked for heavens and for the shadows of brothers. I call on the Muslim youth and ask them to comply with the request of God and his messenger. When they call you to carry the work and will keep you alive, what will keep the nation alive is carrying jihad. 
and all people die except the martyrs which are alive with God. I call on you to rise and fight the crusader and the Jews. Always praise God, who I swear to you will kill the person whose days has come and will be missed with his family and will be inside a green bird hanging in God's throne, and who upon his being killed here will go to heaven. They do who sacrifice themselves and whatever they have verifies my suspicion that they are cavalrymen, variant, chevaliers, and they will maintain their courage in the ongoing warring attacks and they will not give up when they are engaged in fierce battles and they will remedy madness with acts of madness. Finished. Letter to Uthman Hussein, 2003, fully translated. Page 1. In the name of God, the most merciful and most compassionate, thanks to the God of peace and prayers on our prophet Muhammad, his kinsmen, and his followers. To my dear brother Uthman, may God protect you. I hope my letter finds you and your family and all the brothers in good health, and may you be more pious and closer to God. I start my letter by stressing that it is imperative that our main objective in our war with the Americans has to be clear. What do we want? Our objective is what was summarized in the chapter after the 11th September. America has to stop its evil, such as its support to the Jews, and leave the Muslims alone so that the Muslims can establish an Islamic state where Islam will prevail. You all know that fighting for Muslims has many goals. The greatest one is that ensure that God's faith prevails. God Almighty says, and fight them until there is no more tumult or oppression and the prevails of justice and faith in Allah altogether and everywhere. But if they cease, verily Allah doth see all that they do. Surat al-Anfal, verse 39. One of the goals is for the infidels to stop their aggression against Islam and its adherents. God Almighty says, fight ye the chefs of... Are the chiefs of unfaith, for their oaths are nothing to them, that thus they may be restrained. Sarat al-Taba, verse 12. We want to fight to force the enemy to stop its aggressions against us, which can happen, God willing, by fighting the United States, the leader of the infidels. It is a known fact that this American people, who are represented by the Congress and the White House, are the holders of the supreme power in the U.S., and they are the ultimate decision-makers. Thus, we have to focus on killing and fighting the American people. Page 2 of 10. Fighting Americans and their allies in Afghanistan is an obligation and a compulsory religious duty to defeat them and eject them, God willing. This will require a great deal of time and effort. It is within our right to stop this war against us from its main source, which is the American people, who are in the power that can stop it as soon as possible. Therefore, we have to put the administration of the White House and the Congress where the command post for the operations against us is located under direct pressure by using the equation of fear. That can only happen by directly affecting the American people through conducting operations inside America and affecting the American economy by targeting oil abroad, particularly in the countries that export oil to the U.S. Consequently, the American citizen will certainly feel the impact in his oil bill.
This needs to be accompanied by a larger media campaign, part of which could air in the U.S. media, if possible, indicating that these operations are the result of the lack of security in our land, particularly in Palestine, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Somalia, and that is what is summarized in the chapter after the September 11th attacks. America will not dream of security until security becomes a reality in Palestine. You are all aware of one of the most important matters when there is a conflict between two sides. Each side needs to be informed about its enemy's culture, history, his way of thinking, his strengths, and his weak points. This will help it make the best decisions with God's help. By following the development of the struggle between us and the statements made by the American politicians, as well as studying the reality of war between us and examining the Americans' previous wars, it became clear to us that the attacking the U.S. from within is of extreme importance. It is the number one objective and the main way to lead us to what we want. The impact of attacking the U.S. from the inside against the Americans cannot be compared with attacking the U.S. from the outside because, besides attacking the Americans' allies and agents. If we reflect on the history of the U.S., it has fought about 60 wars. The common denominator of most of these wars was that they did not end with the use of the military from outside, but ended with public dissatisfaction increasing and because of internal opposition from within. For example, in their Vietnam War, 57,000 soldiers were killed. The war did not end because of losing this large number of soldiers, but because they were forced to withdraw from their president, Nixon, who made a mistake by ordering a military draft to continue fighting an unpopular war, which impacted every American person. As a result, the people revolted in large anti-war protests, and they withdrew. As you are aware, their current policy to deal with the shortage of soldiers is by offering large monetary incentives so as to avoid the mistake made by Nixon. In summary, our war with the U.S. will not end by fighting its allies. Even fighting the Americans themselves outside of America may or may not end it. It all depends on their financial ability to bear the costs of the war. The population of the U.S. is approximately 300 million. 1,000 soldiers were killed in Afghanistan and 4,000 in Iraq. This means that only a small number of them were impacted, which is not enough to make the American people revolt and force the politicians to stop the war. Statistics show that the percentage of thieves and criminals in American prisons is 7 per thousand. This is the highest percentage in the world, a fact that American people are living with even though it is putting lots of pressure on its security nerves. You all know that the number of people who die in the U.S. as a result of the civilian behaviors is very high. For example, the number of people who die from smoking is 400,000, which is the large number compared with the number of people killed in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. However, the American people did not come out in large demonstrations calling for shutting down the tobacco companies. Using a very simple calculation, if we divide the number of Americans killed in Afghanistan, which is about 1,000, by 300 million, assuming that each soldier has a set of two parents, was still alive, and a sister and a brother, the percentage of the American people killed in their war in Afghanistan is 3.3 per million. However, to reach the proportion of Americans killed in Vietnam, we need more than 100 times that in Afghanistan. Yet the war did not end because of the large number of casualties, the population of the U.S. then was at 150 million. 
It is becoming more obvious that the small percentages of the nation's disasters, which are numerous, do not usually impact people's causes, their anger, and their revolt. They usually learn to deal with them. If we are relying on the number of enemy deaths, then the road ahead of us to win the battle in Afghanistan is very long. The number of unemployed in the U.S. has increased since September 11th and after the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and reached 10% of the workforce. This is a very large number when compared with the number of people killed in Afghanistan, which is 1% of 1,000. This unemployed people know that the reason for their unemployment has to do in part with the large spending to support the two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and in part to do with greed and financial administration corruption in New York and Washington. This large number of people has not been able to stop the source of the damage afflicted on them, but rather they contribute with others to topple the republic administration that caused them this damage. And they voted for the Democrats in Congress and the presidency, which did not change much. If the 10 million unemployed were not able to end what caused the damage afflicted upon them in a radical way, 3,000 Americans who are the fathers, Americans, and brothers of the 1,000 people killed in Afghanistan will not be able to end the war. Consequently, this highlights the importance of external work, particularly inside America, to put pressure on 300 million Americans so that all the American people react to stop the unjust war that was put pressure on Muslims, particularly in Palestine, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. To support my point, the impact of fear that hit them after Omar Farouk, may God grant him release, even if the airplane did not explode, made them incur direct and indirect expenses, about $40 billion, which is double the U.S. administration has spent on the war each year for the last eight years. Nations and people can deal with the disaster of the percentage of 3 per 1,000, and just imagine how much more 3.3 per 1 million is. Of course, they will deal with it for a long decade. There is another factor that is part of the equation in their war in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is of greater dimension for the people. Their economic conditions are bad. If this were not the case, they would continue their war for decades without the American people feeling their impact on those grueling wars that are taking place away from its land. I have previously mentioned that there are 10 million unemployed people as a result of the deterioration of economic conditions. However, their attempts were not sufficient to end the results, meaning the war against the Muslims. If we find our enemy's weakest point, as long as we want to achieve their main objective, we have to conduct our operations inside the U.S., Dealing with this enemy requires that you attack its security and particularly its economy. One large operation inside the U.S. will affect the security and the nerves of 300 million Americans while killing 1,000 Americans in eight years has very little impact on their nerves. Thus, our main war should be directed to put pressure on the American people inside the U.S. by attacking oil from outside the U.S., which will be followed by gathering the best capabilities for this great work. If we have sufficient human and financial capabilities to carry out the previous plan and we have some left, there is no harm in attacking the Americans from outside. It is known that the organization will have a large number of Mujahideen to work against the U.S. at the open fronts. This is due to the very particular qualifications required for those working in the External Operations Division. Those whose security conditions do not allow them to travel through airports are qualified to work in the External Operations Division. 
and they can be in charge of planning or training their brothers who will work in this division, the External Operations Division. As previously mentioned, it seems to me that the operations inside the U.S. are the most important works of the Al-Qaeda organization as long as they are possible because the impact of security in the economy of the American people as a whole. The fight of the Islamic world against the U.S. is like a big dam. In front of the dam are several clay villages on both sides of the river. Some of the tyrants want to be the dam and opened some of its gates and should not have been opened and the dam's water flooded the villages. As a result, people were hurt and terrified and some of the brave men hurried to save the elderly women and children, working hard and putting their lives in danger to save them. But what they need was a crucial and important idea that requires less effort than what they exerted to take away from their significant suffering and save their energy. They need to send some of their knights to those who opened the dam and caused all kinds of suffering, to punish those and them, and to drive them away from the dam, and then to close those gates and put an end to the great suffering of their people. This is our situation. Our first priority should be a conduct operations that will impact the largest number of the American people. It is the people's anger against the decision makers in the White House, the Congress, and the Pentagon that will shut the doors of the dam, God willing. As a result, we will have saved the time and the effort of the Ummah, the Muslim community, that we can achieve the objective which is to stop the U.S. from supporting Israel, and it will withdraw its army from the Muslim land and leave the Muslims alone to deal with their enemies. Security should be provided to the brother in charge of external operations, and that should be done in two phases. First, select an appropriate and safe place in Pakistan for him. He needs to give a training course to prepare the leaders and the trainers for external operations. I think the number of trainers and trainees in the first class should not exceed 10 brothers. Second, carefully select the trainees for this round. They have to be qualified to become leaders in external operations and trainers for the rest of the members. The most important qualifications should have a person to be pious and patient. During training and training camps, any person who we notice who displays boredom does not finish the tasks assigned to him and gets mad quickly, we have to remove them from the external work, which requires precision and patience. In Kenya, the brother stayed inside the house for nine months. In such an abnormal environment, arguments between the group of people sent to the land of the enemy to carry out the mission may have detrimental results. One of the brothers may lose his composure and disobey the emir. This is from experience and not just a possibility. They need to apply proficiency at all times. As the prophet says, Allah loves when one of you engages in any work. He should carry it out with proficiency. There are many sad events and stories caused mainly by negligence and lack of proficiency. They need to have strong conviction about the importance of external work and that is the main avenue to weaken the U.S. that will relinquish Israel and stop its wars against Muslims and leave them alone, God willing. Intelligence, astuteness, acuteness, and possession of knowledge. The capability to take the training for the length of the period that is agreed upon. The training will be taken in the house that will be arranged for them to stay in, and for everyone's safety, they will not leave it until they complete the training. To guarantee this, they need to make a pledge before entering the house and registering for the training. I think Sheikh Mohammed should be with them in this training to enrich the lectures with discussions and education conversation. After completing the external operations course, Sheikh Mohammed 
can give the qualified brothers of the leadership training. I think of Sheikh Yunus as a very distinguished person, and we need to pay attention to provide him with the opportunity to work with the Sheikh movement and the training to prepare leaders. Suggestions. After completing the two training sessions, I see Sheikh Yunus moved with some brothers out of Afghanistan and of Pakistan, and they can start their work from there on the condition that the Sheikh movement is in charge of facilitating the external work before you. It is necessary that we have a development and planning department. This is even if the prevalent idea in our nation is that development happens as life goes on. Mistakes are made, and we learn from them and evolve. This often takes long years. However, establishing a development center will save us decades. A person may think at first that he does not have the ability to develop, but work will develop with time in the manner I previously mentioned. Even though it will be cost us an enormous amount of money to exclusively dedicate ourselves capabilities to think of ways to develop and specific field, God willing, instead of continuing in our traditional ways, it is one of the most important matters as it is the first step in this field. The researchers in the development center, God willing, will present us with research and studies that will contain very crucial ideas that will save us lots of effort, time, energy, and money. The development center will have to develop itself using whatever is available, particularly to increase reading and studying in general and studying the fields we need in particular. I think the person to charge of this development center should be the one of the brothers who likes this kind of work and has the ability to do it, particularly a passion for reading and deducing the benefits. Attention needs to be paid in our Western brothers in this development center and in the external operation center. Our brother Abu Talib Al-Aman should be in this development center as an instructor and trainer. He will be useful providing with you with ideas on working inside the U.S. He should also take advantage of our brother Azim Al-Marika, who can look for research on the internet that was published by Western centers, Americans in particular, and translate what the brothers would find of use in this field. He, Azam, can also write his views on working inside the U.S., and it will be beneficial if he provides a training course to teach English to the members of the center. What will be useful is to determine the specialities that we need, prioritize them, and assign some young people to exclusively study and become proficient in these sciences and specialities, such as computer engineering and chemistry of which manufacturing explosives is one topic which is something we have a dire need for. We will send some of the brothers who are bright and it is not known that they have joined the ranks of the Mujahideen to study in universities and task them to classes in the fields that we need to develop. The situation of the brothers security-wise will be comfortable and they can access any website as they wish and buy books and products without raising any questions. One of the specialities we need that we should not overlook is the science of administration. It is an independent science and is very important out there as an abundance of experts. Also, we should not overlook the strategic politics, political sciences. We need a brother or two in these specialities. This is inexpensive and will benefit greatly from it in many fields, as it will provide us with a sound opinion during the events that our Ummah will be going through. What you have in your hands is a living experience that bore fruit and which is the realization of brothers during the time of the Shaykh Abdallah Azam would may rest in peace that the Mujahideen needed to have scholars within them. So we made several attempts to have Sheikhs, Islamic scholars, and scholars with us in the fronts so they can educate the youth and nobody came to stay with us permanently, sending some young people to study Sharia and then they returned to us. 
We have to prepare ourselves that after sending some of the brothers, we may only get 40% back due to the factors such as the family burden. Many will start a family and have children and the psychological factors that will affect them. We should not forget the geographic and time differences. They are two dangerous factors for the individual since we do not see him and we are not in contact with him, which may cause him to forget us. Some of the things we agreed upon start to lose interest in the mission and gradually change the path he is on. Attached are Basir and Abuhara's letters, which I previously requested from you. Please advise whether my son Khalid's letter to Kamini was published or not, and also please send me the reactions to the letter if it was published. This was corroborated by the number of NATO troops under the leadership of the U.S. to fight al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, which exceeds 100,000. Obama decided to add 30,000 troops after the American spite on al-Qaeda in Pakistan and Afghanistan and mentioned that al-Qaeda's permanent members are about 100. Many people found it strange to send more than 100,000 soldiers to fight only 100 people. What they did not know is that the 100 people that the U.S. is fighting are determined to attack the United States and its homeland, which is where the danger they face hides. Bush stated during his presidency that he, we will fight them over there so that we don't fight them over here. So we have to pay attention to that. This is an editorial note. A few days ago, the U.S. Secretary of State made a statement indicating that the biggest danger that America faces is not Iran or North Korea. It is still Al-Qaeda. The secret does not lie. Al-Qaeda threatening the U.S. interests abroad as Iran does, for example, by expanding in the region, particularly in Iraq and Lebanon, and competing against the American dominance, but it lies in Al-Qaeda's determination to attack the U.S. and its homeland. End of green highlight. Editorial note. That being the last letter from the quote-unquote enemy, the enemies of the United States and Israel. Let me read this letter from the United States, specifically Time magazine, so that it balances out as well as adds a Western perspective that requires an educated patience. This is for thinking strategists political scientists, cultural anthropologists, and sociologists. This is for real men. This isn't about hooting and hollering. This is about learning and applying wisdom to war from the people who are actually fighting it. From Time Magazine, 2016. Keep in context, 2016, Time Magazine. Saddam Hussein, CIA interrogator. He should have been left in power. In 2003, I was part of an effort to find Saddam Hussein. I then became the first to debrief him after his capture that December. 
Prior to his incarceration, I heard over and over from counterparts in the military that the Bush administration, that if we caught Saddam, we would be able to nip the growing Iraqi insurgency in the bud. This presupposed that Saddam had an iron-like control over the Sunni insurgency. He didn't. And that decapitating the Ba'athist regime would make Iraq a peaceful country. It didn't. This was the underlying ethos of the Bush administration's decision to launch Operation Iraqi Freedom in March 2003. To remove Saddam from power so that democracy and freedom could flourish in a post-9-11 Middle East. When I interrogated Saddam, he told me, we are going to fail. You are going to find that it is not so easy to govern Iraq. When I told him I was curious why he felt that way, he replied, you are going to fail in Iraq because you do not know the language, the history, and you do not understand the Arab mind. Unlike Barack Obama, who entered office with Iraq relatively peacefully following the surge of U.S. troops and the Anbar awakening, President-elect Donald Trump has monumental decisions to make regarding the Middle East, Iraq, and Syria, too. They will be central to the U.S. counterterrorism efforts in the next administration. The new administration will have to compose a revised strategy for dealing with the menace of ISIS, which one that comprises a military and political track. While the Obama administration is making concerted efforts to destroy ISIS militarily and Iraqi forces with the help of the United States, have recently made some progress toward that end and we are still far from achieving this goal. However, if security and political stability cannot be achieved in the wake of military victories, the gains will be made to control the short-lived. Today, a decade following Saddam's execution with ISIS's black flag still unfurled over sections of Iraq, we need to ask ourselves some provocative questions. One of them is, what would be happening if we had just kept Saddam Hussein in his box or if the successor Iraqi governments had shown mercy and commuted his death sentence to life in prison? It is impossible to say without certainty. But my own belief is that if Saddam had remained in power, Iraq would have eventually gotten out from under international sanctions, which had already been crumbling by 2001, and he would probably be in charge today. Probably one of his sons to take over after his death. I doubt that he would have much to worry about from an event like the Arab Spring. Saddam's leadership style and penchant for brutality were among the many faults of his regime, but he could be ruthlessly decisive when he felt his power base was threatened and it is far from certain that his regime would have been overthrown by a movement of popular discontent. Likewise, it is improbable that a group like ISIS would have to be able to enjoy the kind of success under his repressive regime that they have had under the Shia-led Baghdad government. Saddam felt the Islamist extremist groups in Iraq posed the biggest threat to his rule, and his security apparatus worked assiduously to root out such threats. Although I found Saddam to be thoroughly unlikable, I came away with the grudging respect for how he was able to maintain the Iraqi nation as a whole for as long as he did. He once told me before me there was only bickering and arguing. I ended all of that and made people agree. Saddam used every tool in his repertoire to maintain Iraq's multi-ethnic state. Such tools included murder, blackmail, imprisonment, threats, and these were used to cow his enemies. For his friends, Saddam would dole out patronage to tribal leaders and supporters in the form of cash, elaborate gifts, land, and other largesse that was the lifeblood of an oil-rich state. Today's Iraq has been riven by deepening sectarianism and always seems to be only steps away from igniting again as it did after Saddam's overthrow. Saddam also would have inevitably maintained a hostile stance toward Iran. He was also proud of his opposition to the Islamic Republic and preserved special contempt for the Shia in Iraq. 
who would follow Iran's guidance over his. Iraq is now very much the junior partner to much emboldened Iranian regimes and has expanded its military and security influence in the chaotic aftermath of Saddam's overthrow and the aborted Arab Spring. In December 1992, President-elect Bill Clinton was asked by New York Times reporter that he intended to do about Saddam in Iraq. Clinton responded casually, if he wants a different relationship with the United States and with the United Nations, all he has to do is change his behavior. The ensuing criticism from the national security community reportedly spooked the new president, who had won by a thin margin in a three-way race and who was coming into office with the thinnest of foreign policy credentials. Subsequently, Clinton never returned to this instinct and instead attacked Iraqi military in 1993 through 1998. Moreover, although he did not know it at the time, Clinton also sealed Saddam's death warrant when he signed the Iraqi Liberation Act of 1998, which made regime change in Iraq the policy of the U.S. government post-Cold War. What made... What might have happened in Clinton would have struck to his initial instinct and tried to forge a new relationship with Iraq instead of treating it as an enemy. What might have we avoided in terms of lives, treasure, and prestige wasted in our fruitless efforts to reorder this region? Our incoming president, Donald Trump, has the opportunity to play a very large role in shaping a new regional order in the Middle East. This will require making tough decisions and ultimately recognizing that we may have to deal with people and leaders that we abhor if we want to help bring stability back to the region and limit the scope of terrorism's reach. Most of all, it will require placing diplomacy back into our foreign policy. President-elect Trump has shown with his election victory that he is a believer in the art of the deal. Maybe his administration can use this negotiation skills and end our involvement in a forever war. This was written by John Nixon. And Nixon was a CIA analyst from 1998 to 2011 and taught leadership analysis to the agency at its Sherman Kent School. He is the author of the forthcoming book Debriefing the President, The Interrogation of Saddam Hussein. And that was written in 2016. I hope everyone found these letters to be educational, informative, as well as eye-opening. I hope together you guys get the meanings that I'm trying to get across, both in terms of how obvious it was that we would fail in the 20 years of military invasion of the Middle East and the global war on terror, how mistaken and wrong we all were in interpreting Saddam Hussein's, um, you know, reality, his truth, his psychological, you know, profile, and that he wasn't this godless dictator, but rather a very moderate and progressive um, Islamist who kept in check the radical Wahhabism and Sharia Shia law of, you know, rival tribes, as well as kept a really strong peace in an area where that was almost impossible, which was impossible before him. And, uh, and people forget quickly that he was propped up and supported by the United States and by the CIA and um, felt greatly betrayed during the times where they started invading him during the times of George Bush. Um, partly because he had made his deals to be supported by the CIA under George Bush. So 
Um, you can see where this is all a matter of like puppets and dominoes and, and setting up leaders to sacrifice them and stuff like that. So you can see where it's all connected. As well as you can see where, in reality, before the mainstream news and the morons that, that follow it and um, that engage in people in conversation politically and stuff, before they were hypnotized by the Western invention of ISIS, that what was being discovered was Al-Qaeda, even though it only had 100 active members, was beginning to plan an extremely uh, ambitious campaign of economic destruction inside the United States. This is over 10 years old. No one has talked about the results of this, whether or not they were prevented, whether or not they were thwarted, whether or not they have succeeded. But one can only look at the mainstream news and see how many trains are derailing, see how many oil refineries are blowing up, seeing how much shit is going wrong with the United States infrastructure and the global oil infrastructure abroad and one can't help but think. There are no shot clocks. There are no time limits in war. And maybe the United States of America will historically be known to be defeated... At the end of this all, by Al-Qaeda, an enemy we made ourselves, that we lost control over, and that we sent 100,000 soldiers to try to stop 100 men, and failed to do so. Food for thought.